But I guess at the end of the day, there's only one real question I can't ask you, Meredith. What's that? Where's your head? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A uh, little late 90s, early O's, Basement Jacks. Yeah. Hello, 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 everybody. And welcome to Gritty Reboot. I am Pedro. And I'm Meredith. So today, we're going to be taking a look at um, the song this is the theme to, uh, Tomb Raider. Yeah, we're doing Tomb Raider this week. Yes, yes. Even though it's not technically the actual theme of Tomb Raider, that distinction goes to U2's Elevation, does it not? Uh, yeah, that's that would be the theme song. Yeah, yeah. We just, I, I remembered they had like a little tie-in to Tomb Raider. I could I can recall it back in the day. And I actually put on the music video like just before we started to do this because I was really curious about it. And I was delighted slash enamored with the horrible green screen work and the cheesiness of the video because they basically like superimposed the edge, not the wrestler, the guitar player for it actually be better if it was a wrestler. <laughs> they get the guitar player for you too, and they kind of superimpose him on random scenes from the movie. Yeah, it's greatness. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it it, it made me chuckle more more than a few times. Uh, otherwise, the rest of the video is just a, a lot of like oh one cliches you'd find in music video. Uh, th- that and an evil Bono, an evil version of you too. For some reason, <laughs> they didn't have the decency to put the evil versions of evil versions of them in uh, goatees. Yeah. Not to mention, neither of us have really played the games. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. What, what what do you know about Tomb Raider before these movies came out? Like, what was your knowledge of the series? Just that she was would go through all these different um, tombs, I guess, and collect treasure. There would be, like, obstacle courses that you would have to go through, like climbing big, huge blocks of earth i guess yeah yeah you'd have to try to climb these you know these stone blocks or anything yeah like that and, and kind of push them and arrange them i am very unfamiliar with the video game series i grew up uh, with an n64 and these games were pretty much exclusive to the playstation yeah i understand there was like a saturn version of the original and pc versions but i, di- I didn't really have a pc that could play these games and by the time i picked up a playstation i was far more obsessed with playing the big catalog of JRPGs that I hadn't got around to. Yeah. And so basically, you know, besides installing emulators and, and kind of messing with them with Tomb Raider a little bit, I honestly don't have a, a lot of nostalgia for the series or really anything else for it, to be perfectly frank. Yeah, I only played the one game on the PlayStation, so I haven't, I don't really have a whole lot of knowledge. Yeah, other than a few minutes with uh, on the Xbox 360 with the reboot of the series when it, it came out all the way back in 2010 or 2011. Like I said, I just I don't really have a, a lot of experience, but uh, we at least do have a, a nice memory of, of this movie. Yeah. So we went to see this together back in the day when this came out in 2001. Mm-hmm. This became the first movie you and I walked out of together. Yeah. Yeah, we we did not enjoy this film in the least in in 2001 in the summer. No. And, well, I I guess one of the things that I I did want to bring up, and before we start talking about the movie, is I want to talk about the main reason this movie has any sort of clout or esteem or cachet is because they cast Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Angelina Jolie, at this point, um, she's about a year and a half removed from her Oscar win. I think Girl Interrupted was 99 or 2000. 
And she's had a couple of hits here and there. And this is probably the movie that launches her from notable actress character work and stuff like that into becoming a megastar, mm-hmm. you know, becoming a real movie star. And this is the first movie she opens up that really does massive, massive business. You know, she'd been in Gone in 60 Seconds, but that was a Nick Cage picture. Yeah. You know, she was just the, the, the love interest, you know, not the lead. She was very much the lead here in Tomb Raider. And the movie opens up big and all the movie's success really comes from her. So, you know, it's just an interesting thing to note in 2001, you know, she just wasn't that caliber of star. A lot of people, you know, know her as today. And this is the movie that really helped launch her into that stratosphere. Yeah. So we have Simon West directing uh, with Angelina Jolie, Daniel Craig not doing a Southern accent, but he is doing an American accent. Mm-hmm. And uh, who else do we have in the cast? Do you know? We have Noah Taylor. That's who plays Bryce. And that's her tech guy. Yeah. Um, we have Ian Glenn, who plays Manifred Powell. That's Jorah Mormont, right? From Game of Thrones? Yeah. Yeah, that's Jorah Mormont. Yeah. yeah. Good job remembering the name, because I was trying to think of the name earlier, and I was like, I can't remember Oh yeah, so no, many I, names. I, I Googled him earlier, because I was kind of curious, because um, I'd seen, I was trying to think of what else I'd seen him in as the bad guy, and we'll talk about it later, because he shows up somewhere in the middle of the Resident Evil series to be one of their bad guys. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk, and I think he's Poor really, guy. he's good at this kind of part. This isn't his, his finest work. No. So I, I guess, long story short, you know, before we start talking about the movie, we still kind of feel similarly about Tomb Raider 2001 with Angelina Jolie. Oh, yeah. It's a clunky, dull film that uh, really, I, I struggle to stay engaged with the picture. And it's got so much involved in it. Yeah, it, re- it really does. It really does. There's so much kind of going on in this movie. There's a, there's a lot of plot, and it's all just a lot of hooey to get in the way of action sequences that are mostly poorly planned out and staged, mm-hmm. which is, is a real shame, to, to be honest. And I, I I know I was tipped off of the movie's quality from the opening bit. And that is where she's doing like this training montage. And she has a um, a robot that she's going against, right? Yeah. And look, there's nothing wrong with her going against a robot or anything like that. But the big deal is this is presented like here's an action sequence. Laura's in danger. You know, everything seems to be going normally. But Laura doesn't break a sweat in any way, shape, or form. And she overpowers the robot. Quite easily. She's literally able to, like, push the robot away. And we discover it's all a training sequence. None of this is real or matters. And this sadly sets up a real template for the movie is that Laura's not really going to break much of a sweat with any of the action or the henchmen in this movie. Not really. And it's one of those things that really doesn't help you identify with the character or help you really get into the action sequences because there is no element of danger to them. They're very, very PG 13 action sequences. Yeah. Did, uh, I wonder if Tomb Raider had a lot of action or is it, was it just an adventure kind of? Well, I mean, it it did have a lot of action. I mean, you were running around shooting things, shooting tigers. And uh, I know that one, I know in one game you shot dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm sure there was, I assume there was a lot of henchmen. I, I know a little bit more about the reboots and obviously there's a lot of henchmen in those, not so much shooting dinosaurs in the reboot, but I, I do know there is some supernatural elements when you're going to be exploring tombs and caves and things like that. There at some point will be some level of supernatural element in your story. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and you know, that's, that's obviously a part of these as well. So, yeah. So once we get this opening sequence, we're introduced to one of the few things that works, which is, uh, her tech guy, uh, Bryce, what, what was his name? 
Uh, Bryce. Bryce, Bryce. All right. Bryce is the character name, and Hillary the butler. They have a nice familiar familial relationship that I think was a good thing to ground a movie around, but that's not really the story this movie is really trying to tell. Like, all those three actors get along pretty well, and most of the more successful comedic bits comes from those three interacting. Yeah. But there's very few sequences once you leave the first act of them interacting. I think you get a nice action sequence um, a little bit later on when uh, the plot starts going into high gear. Obviously, we have what is going to be uh, what is going to be a cliche for the series is that Laura's father is gone, missing in some way, shape, or form. In this one, he's assumed dead. Correct? Yeah. And as Laura begins to look more and more into it, she discovers that there's like a secret message that her father left her. Yeah, and this clock-like thing. Yeah, and then she goes to get the clock evaluated, and that leads her to the bad guy. Correct? Yeah. And this is what jumpstarts basically the entire adventure. Because once he discovers that she has this clock, he sends the henchman after her, correct? Correct. And so this leads to a very 2001 sort of scene. And I'm not talking about Stanley Kubrick's space epic. I'm talking about that every action movie in 2001 was trying so hard to be the Matrix. Mm. And there's a sequence where she's on this kind of bungee cord, correct? Yeah, she's doing some sort of bungee ballet. Yeah, and all these henchmen come in with all these guns, and none of them can shoot the Tomb Raider. None no. of them can hit Laura Croft. She's bouncing everywhere while the lamest reject Matrix soundtrack plays, you know, in the background of this sequence. Like, it feels like the song really was just failed to make the Matrix soundtrack. And, you know, she just kind of hops around in another toothless action sequence and deals with these guys who just somehow can't hit her with automatic weapons. She doesn't use any guns of any sort, correct? Yeah. She just kind of hops around and, and is able to confuse these guys. And it's another one of these movies really confusing and underwhelming action sequences. Sadly, you know, as you feel like you're about to get something ramping up, getting there, you know, Simon West, he had just come off of Con Air before this. So I was at least expecting some really solid action. And to be honest, like Con Air, I think is the real highlight of his career, because after that, you have this movie and like Expendables 2, you know, kind of un- kind of really very forgettable action fair. Yeah, and we got, uh, not to mention eye candy in the movie. You have Angelina Jolie in a towel. You have her some side boob action. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple of sequences of her in like she a She throws towel. off the towel. Yeah, and like her bare back is, can be seen. And like a little touch of side boob. Yeah. yeah the, the movie's got a little horny in it. Just a little horny because it, that's not the, the main focus at all. This movie is aimed at, at, you know, 12-year-old boys. And there's only so much horny you can really put in a movie like that. Originally, they wanted Laura Croft to be made uh, th- to be nude in the shower scene, but uh, that would bring an R rating. Clearly, yeah. So they had to change that to to keep the PG thirteen rating. Yeah, just an entirely different movie if you if you'd have made this R rated in any way, any way, shape, or form. Not to mention, in the video game, she was a thirty six double D. She Angelina is natural thirty six C. She was padded to thirty six D. It was believed that the padding to the original character would be unrealistic. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's almost unrealistic as it sits here. You can very much tell Angelina Jolie is running around with a lot of padding in her bra. Yeah, because there's no, like, cleavage. Yeah, no, there's no no cleavage at all in the movie. Like, she is wearing that tight t-shirt and, like, You know a girl with big old boobs got some cleavage. Yeah. That's, Even in a regular shirt. Yeah, that's generally how it works. And that's just not the, the case here. They're very much just trying to make her boobs look bigger and, and more akin to the video game character. I mean, do you, do you know how we even got uh, Laura Croft as a game character? No. 
So basically, they were making an Indiana Jones ripoff kind of game. And I know at one point it was probably Larry Croft or something like that. And they were experimenting with some character designs. And at one point they made her a woman. And as they were designing her, trying to change it up a little bit, when they put in her bust size, they actually put in the wrong calculation. And so instead of giving her normal size breasts, they like quadrupled the size to give her the size we know Laura Croft as. Yeah, 36 double D. Yeah, and it, it, that they left it like that, and they liked it. And, you know, it, it, it went off to be a big, it's a bunch of guys, a bunch of nerds making a game, so they thought this was pretty cool. And a bunch of nerds that buy video games thought it was too. And that's how we got this character all, over, all throughout the years. Wow. Yeah, that's as simple as that. <laughs> okay, so we kind of briefly mentioned the soundtrack, but how do you feel about the soundtrack as a whole in this movie? There is some nice O one one jams to it. Yeah. Like said, U2's Elevation is in there. And I, I know I gave U2 a little bit of crap earlier, but U2 was on a real upswing at this point. Oh, God, one of yeah. their better records. And so and Elevation is, is a good track off All That You Can't Leave Behind, a really good record as well. Yeah, Basement Jacks. There is some nice songs in there, but there is a lot of those remains from the Matrix soundtracks. That's kind of EDM. Yeah, those 2001 dance beats. And a lot of them feel a little reheated. So that's not always so great, and I'm trying to remember the theme, like the actual score at yeah. this moment, and really nothing's coming to mind. I was remembering the theme, and I remember that was actually Alan Silvestri's theme from the second film. Oh. Yeah, I was like, when's that theme coming? I was like, oh, and that Alan Silvestri did it in the second movie. I can't even tell you who did the score in this one. I didn't bother to look it up because it didn't even come into play for me. Yeah, I don't think I wrote down you the score. It's done by John Williams. I know it wasn't anybody notable. Yeah, I didn't write down the score. The person who did the score either. So, but anyways, the movie is just boring. It's just boring. Yeah. I think that's one of the strange things about it. When you have all these moving parts and there's explosions and there's things are happening, and but there's supposed to be intrigue as well. Like there's this plot missing? about her father, you know, and everything that happened with them and the Illuminati secret organizations. And, and somehow this doesn't come together to make for a really exciting narrative, which is very strange. Yeah. What is missing? Oh, well, you know, it's not just, I mean, honestly, the main thing in the movie that works is Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And even then, you know, I don't think she's amazing in the movie or anything like that. She's just able to hold that character together. I think if anybody else in the lead role, this movie would be far, far worse and completely forgettable. You know, if you had somebody like Denise Richards or something in this part. Which I believe was, yeah, Denise Richards, Charlie Theron, Uma Thurman, and Liv Tyler all turned down the role of Laura Croft. I, I think, um, I don't know. I, I'd always heard, I, I I know this is one of those movies where a lot of actresses had opportunities to try to get involved in the picture. And Angelina Jolie was probably about as dream casting as they could have gone, besides maybe getting to me more a couple years earlier. Yeah, she was also rumored to have. Yeah, like I said, I, I know a lot of actresses were attached to it. So I don't know how much were actually like really attached to the movie or, you know, just, you know, like, oh, it'd be nice if she was in it. And that's as far as it ever went. Yeah. But, you know, her being able to be in this movie is really the only thing notable that's in it. I mean, I, I just think this comes down to a, a really lazy script. You know, obviously, that's one of my favorite go tos when things go wrong. But I think that's you have a lazy script in this one. You have bad direction. Even the action scenes are dull. And that's kind of it right there. If you're not able to have a, an action movie with some well thought out and well composed action sequences, it's going to fall apart, especially if you don't have other things to fall back on, like great character work or a story you can actually sink your teeth into. Yeah. That's not what this movie really has. The story is almost just window dressing. Is the movie hindered by its PG 13 rating? 
Yes and no. I, I think I think you could have done a lot more with a more mature story. However, that's not what Tomb Raider was. You know, Tomb Raider was always rated T. The most, you know, titillating thing about the game was Laura Croft's body. You know, otherwise there there wasn't really a mature story in there. So as an adaptation of the games, that works out really, really well, to be perfectly frank, that it that it is a PG-13 story. Like I said, it, it could have helped, but I mean, this wasn't necessarily a dark story like Mortal Kombat was, where it could have very much have been helped by an R rating. I think more competent filmmaking was would have been helped would have helped here more so than anything else. Let's listen to a quote from Daniel Craig about this movie. <laughs> I didn't enjoy making Tomb Raider at all. I hated it. I did it to get a profile, and I didn't turn out like that. You're working on scenes that make no sense whatsoever. I can do that superhero stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we haven't talked a lot about Daniel Craig in the movie. He does a really bad American accent, and it comes and goes a little bit, which is probably the most egregious part about it. Now, he should always stick to Southern accents. The more Southern his accent, the better he is, whether it's... Um, Knives out, Knives out or uh, Logan Lucky, where he does another fantastic, more trailer park, a Southern accent. He's very, very good in that one. In this movie, he's not so good. You, if you were to watch this film, you would never say, hey, that guy's going to be a star. You no. would never think that watching that, this That guy's movie. James Bond. Yeah, because when I was watching, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Daniel Craig is in this with a terrible accent. And, and that's the, I mean, that's really the only other notable thing in the movie is that one of the biggest movie stars in the world is in this. And there's literally not much to his part, to be honest. And there's not much to his performance. What do you think is the main weakness of this film? There's a lot of weaknesses. Yeah. There's, there's a lot Can of you things pinpoint wrong. Point one. That's the biggest. I, I want to say poor directing, poor directing. Yeah. Poor directing because th this movie has a, a tone that I think is a little too serious for it. There's not really what I call like jokes or anything in the movie. Like the jokes are sort of low, sort of how nonchalant Laura is with, with all the danger that's in. I guess those are jokes, but like the movie is, is very serious. And I think that's to its detriment. It mm -hmm. really is. You know, I think if you were able to put a little bit more of a cheesier tone in it, make things a, a little bit more campy or fun, I, I think that could have helped out immensely because that's probably the biggest thing in, you know, an action movie based off a video game is that this movie doesn't have any fun in it, really, at all. No. You know, Mortal Kombat, you know, I mean, we were able, yes, we said some negative things about Mortal Kombat, but that movie still brought the fun in 1995. Oh, yeah, I would rather watch that movie any day than Tomb Raider. Yeah, at the end of the day, Tomb Raider is just a, another forgettable action movie. Yeah. Sadly, there's nothing really else to, 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 to say about it, you know, other than, you know, the impact that it had on Angelina, Angelina Jolie's career. That's the only interesting thing to note about it. Filming the scene where Laura drives her Land Rover through the jungle, there were endless reshoots because snakes kept falling through the roof of the car. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that seems kind of terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's not really where I want to be. But this is what happens when you need those jungle shots. You know, you go to the jungle, you are, you're going to get uh, bombarded by animals and nature and bugs. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it gives you a great look, but there, there are significant downsides to trying to go with that. Angelina Jolie loved Cambodia where they shot the movie. She moved there and actually participated in a minefield cleanup. Oh, yeah. She adopted like four children there, right? She later met and adopted Maddox, her first son. Oh, okay. So she did adopt a kid from there. Okay. Yeah. I was just making a joke about it, but she did adopt a lot of children. That was a running joke about her throughout the O's. She also received weapons training from SAS, the United Kingdom's special forces. Yeah, because she went through some pretty some pretty good training for, for this. I mean, mm -hmm. she's not in 
She, I mean, she obviously is in better shape, but that's another thing. I don't think any of the action sequences really take advantage of like her physicality. Like there's none of the action sequences make me think like, wow, man, Angelina Jolie got in really, really great shape. Like there isn't anything like that in the movie to convince me like, man, I, I can't believe Angelina Jolie put that kind of work in. And I know that she did. She's not the kind of person to, she's not the kind of actress to, to not sell out on a role to go all in. Yeah. So th- I thought that was kind of a peculiar thing. I mean, there's a, there is a general sense of, of laziness, I think to a lot of action in the movie too. A better director would have been able to refine some of the problems away in the action sequences. Like um, later on in the movie, she is at this point where I'm trying to think of what that thing is called. There's like a giant model of the universe or, or our solar system. You know what those things are called? Uh, mm, no. Yeah, no. I, I. But anyway, there's this big model, and like the, all the pieces are moving, and like she's trying to jump around from piece to piece, and like one of the henchmen gets on there, and he's in a bad position, and his body gets crushed. But his body doesn't get crushed. Mm-hmm. He hits the edge of the platform, and the other piece of it roll kind of just kind of goes above him, and it makes a crushing sound. But he's clearly not crushed. <laughs> he's just laying on <laughs> laying the platform. Over there. Yeah, and I remember that moment. I was just like, God, he couldn't even got one shot of like his legs like twitching, you know, to show that he died. Like it's a good example of like kind of the laziness in this movie. Like a sound effect, it was good enough. And that's the attitude of the direction. And not the production design, just really the direction. Good enough. Same thing for the writing. Well, like the rock creatures. They're total jobbers. Yeah, they make a big deal about the protectors of this site. And when they come out, they just get shot. Once again, Laura no-sells everything in this movie. She doesn't care that there's rock creatures come out to kill them. They are only able to take out some of the lonely henchmen. And, I mean, Laura's just able to destroy rock creatures with a gun. The one thing a gun is ineffective against, stone. The worst part is the big giant creature, and she's hitting it in the face with a gun like it's going to do anything. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And then the thing ends up getting taken out by a giant log. Yeah. Orrery, by the way, is the word I was looking for. Orrery. Orrery, yes. that's, that's, That's what that structure was. So if you're looking for the orrery scene in this movie, you will be left disappointed. Laura Croft kind of plays a sexless person. Why is that? Well, because I think you have a movie aimed at, like I said, 12-year-old boys who are very interested in sex, but also terrified by it. So you really can't go too far into any kind of sexual content, to be honest, because you will alienate your core audience. They just want to see a little bit of cleavage and maybe an ass shot here or there. You know, they're they're not looking for any kind of nuance or any kind of real sexual relationship in this movie. That would make a teenage boy feel uncomfortable, I think. You would think, though, with the video games making her bus size ridiculous, that it would be a sexy character. She's not a particularly sexy character. She had some sexy rendered photo shoots, I suppose. But, you know, from what I remember of the original game, and it's like watching some walkthroughs, some friends, or, you know, not watching walkthroughs, actually just watching them play. This is back in the 90s. There was no YouTube. You know, watching them play, I mean, she wasn't like, you know, like a sex symbol or anything like that. She just happened to be hot. That was pretty much it. I think you were the one that told me that people masturbated to... Laura Croft back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, people masturbate to Laura Croft. There's somebody masturbating Laura Croft right now. <laughs> it's me, excuse me. No, I mean, there's lots of people that that would. Yeah, I mean, she's still very popular in the R34 world. Rule 34 means if something exists, there's probably someone who's made or drawn some pornography of it. And she's still very popular in that respect. Mm. Can you guess who's number one today? 
In video games? No, just when Rule 34. Fictional woman. Fictional woman? Yeah, they generally do tend to be fictional, yes. Um, Wednesday. Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. But Wednesday's a girl. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't really matter to R34 cosplayers and artists and stuff like that. It's just how it goes. It's just how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever, you ever see that picture? Poor Millie Bobby Brown. She had to like sign like sexualized art of herself. Oh my she was like a little girl. What people, is happening? Yeah, people would bring that to her, but they didn't think anything of it because that's just how the comic world sort of works. And it's a, a very strange thing, but it is what it is. Well, I think this movie was all in all a bad movie. I don't think it needs much more discussing. Yeah, no, I, I really, I, I, I'm glad we got Angelina Jolie to play the role, but beyond that, there's not a whole lot else I can really recommend the film for. I don't recommend this movie at all. Yeah, it, it, it's a very solid. I don't recommend. You're it, wasting your time. If you played all the games and you just never got around to it, if you want to be a completionist, sure. But anybody else just looking for a decent time, I think even someone looking for a camp movie to sort of crap on, I mean, you're going to have way more fun watching Super Mario Brothers for that. Than you are with this, you know, Super Mario Brothers is outlandish out there. The creativity is off the scales. Sure, it doesn't work, but it's creative. This isn't that. This is just laziness. That's all. Yeah. So before we move on, I, I want to play a little game with you. Okay. And what it is, is Laura has been played by many, many actresses. And I'm going to play you some voice clips. And I want you to see if you can guess from like what era of Laura Croft this is from. Is it from early PlayStation? PlayStation 2, 360, and I also snuck in a clip from an animated movie in there. Okay. So I, I want you to see if you can if you can spot where this would fall. Here lies Tohokan, one of the two just rulers of Atlantis, who even after the curse... No matter what, she's British. ...had tried to keep rule here in these barren other lands. I want to say PlayStation 2. child... And you are close. No this is actually Shelly Bond. She is the first person to originate the role. She played it on the PS1. And I think she only did it for maybe the first or second game. Oh, wow. Okay. Mademoiselle Carvier, I have just come from Werner's apartment. I'm afraid this, this is a different actress. Dead. Her it's name is Janelle Elliott. I arrived at his apartment today from London. He was babbling with fear. The monstrum is running around Paris. Can oh, you guess Christ. which era this you is? You mentioned Werner's notebook earlier, Mademoiselle. If he left his notebook, I'm gonna say the animated. Spooked. You used to work at the Serpent Rouge. This is not. This is from the PlayStation Shell. 2 what era. Damn, I'm yeah, bad at this. PlayStation 2. This is probably from I think the the least regarded game in the series, like uh, Night of Darkness or Edges of Darkness or something like that. Uh, not not well reviewed at all. Tells the story of the last queen of Tiwanaku. This is Miss Keeley Hawks. Her was king, but she was lost and raised by a warrior. She became queen after a shaman. I'm gonna say 360. You are 100% right on that one. Yes, yes, that one right. Yeah, she played this right before the reboots. Uh, Temple of Osiris. They made some uh, four-player kind of Diablo slash Smash TV kind of style games with Laura Croft, and uh, she played Laura Croft in those games. Hmm. Okay, so let's see. I got uh, another one for you. So here's a lot. I don't believe we've met. Since I brought you back to life, the least I deserve is a thank you. I want to say that's the animated. You are correct. I'll give you bonus points if you can figure out who this person is. And if we're in this game together, you believed in Dr. Heinrich. 
The disaster he spoke of. What do you know of it? Well then, perhaps I'll just find out for myself. If you believe I It's Mini Driver. I trust it. Is it? Yeah, Mini Driver I played. I was trying to think of uh, yeah. British actors. Yeah, Mini Driver ended up playing the role. She has such a great this voice. Is Croft, an archaeologist from the Endurance, shipwrecked on an island in This the is Camille Luddington. East of Japan. This place is incredible. I've seen wrecks here that Old or centuries. new? PlayStation 2? We the first. This the is the alone. the woman who does the role Something now. Isn't right oh, wow. Yeah, she does the role in the reboots. Um, she's uh, a notable British actress. Uh, she's been in Californication as well. Uh, she's done uh, quite well over, over the years, and this is one of her. She's been on Conan O'Brien talking about playing uh, Laura Croft. That's how I first figured out who, who she was. Cool. I think I know where they went. Our dads. They were you guess who this is? Somewhere off the coast of Japan. It used to be called Yamatai. I'm going to go there and find out what happened to them. Any ideas? Well, I have a map. Now all I need to do is to figure out what these are. Of the actress? I think yeah. That's uh, one we just listened to. Um, Alicia Vikander. That's right! <laughs> I was trying to trick you with one non-video game one. What's your name? Laura. Surname? Croft. So in 2018, we finally got ourselves a reboot of this longtime game series starring Alicia Vikander, uh, Walton Scroggins. Who else is in this? Dominic Purcell? Kristen Scott Thomas. Kristen Scott Thomas. Dominic West. Dominic West, not Purcell. Yeah. Oops. Wrong guy. It's got a lot of people in it, too. It does. It's, it's a pretty nice cast. So this movie is better. Yes. <laughs> now, it, it, it's it's better. I, I think you ended up liking this flick a little bit more than I did. I did. I enjoyed it. But I, I still, I think Vikander does a really, really nice job as Laura Croft. Yes, and, and she's buff. Yeah. Now, this is very different. She did a lot of fight training and weight training. Her body looks fantastic. She put on 12 pounds of muscle over four months prior to filming. She's a very petite woman, so that's a lot of muscle 12 mass pounds of muscle. I mean, she has abs on top of abs. She really does look fantastic. Walter Coggins was like, "Yeah, damn, girl. Yeah. He was he, he was afraid to take off his shirt around her. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, she put a lot of people to shame. She, I mean, she really does look like she's she a fantastic does. shape. And it does pay off in the action sequences as well. They're able to let some of the fight scenes go a, a little bit longer uh, because of her discipline in the fight training. Yeah. And it does help make for a certainly a more coherent action picture. So this movie starts off in, in a little bit of a different way. Laura Croft is keeping herself afloat as a bike messenger, correct? Yeah. Which is uh, something that might be different. Now, I do want to preface that this is not based off of the original series. This movie is based off the reboot games. Of which I have a little bit of experience with, but some of the imagery from those games is straight up copied in this film. Like there's a, like, like, okay, well, as we continue on, you know, she eventually has to sign for her father's inheritance, correct? Yeah. Because as we discovered in the last film, it's a very similar situation. He's missing or presumed dead. Mm -hmm. Laura won't accept it, but she has to sign on anyway. So the paperwork can get moving and people can be paid and things like that. So she gets her inheritance and this is what um, kicks off our adventure here. She is basically able to, and then, well, we get to one of the, the set pieces from the game, which is the sinking boat. 
Yeah, she's trying to learn about her dad's life, basically. Yeah, yeah. She gets a Japanese puzzle that uh, leaves her with a photo and a message and a key. She takes the key to the mausoleum where her father, I guess, inter- would intern himself eventually. When, yeah. If yeah. they found his body. Um, she takes the key to the mausoleum. She inserts it in the name and it opens to a basement um, inside the mausoleum, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, no, I know. I did like this sequence because you do have to have a little bit of the Indiana Jones in there, you know? Yeah. And that scene gives you that Indiana Jones, you know, quoting right there that you, that you really it's need. It's very national treasure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's Indiana Jones. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's another shameless, crappy Indiana Jones ripoff. I like national treasure. I know you like it, but it doesn't mean it's not a crappy Indiana Jones ripoff. Whatever, dude. I've, I've only seen the second one. I don't think I've seen the first one all the way through, so. So she goes to the building beneath the mausoleum, and basically her father wants her to destroy all the research from... uh what he's been doing called it's his only real request himiko yeah. yeah it's his only real request she's a um a goddess i guess that she's like the queen of sparrows yeah th- this movie also has uh, some lore to it but it doesn't hang around as long as the other movie and isn't quite as painful like, yeah and, and the lore does pay off a little bit more as, as we move on uh, she does not destroy the research. She uses it to try to pinpoint where she needs to go, correct? Yeah. To try to find um, the artifacts or the god or whatever. She's not certain what she'll find there. Laura's very much in the non-believer camp as the movie begins, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, she is not about there's you know mystical arts or anything like that. The world is what it is. There's no magic. So it starts off an adventure, and this gives us the set piece that originally starts off the game as well. There's the boat that crashes and she's hanging off and then falls into the ocean. That was that was like the trailer from the original reboot game. Mm. Oh, so I guess we, we should mention right now is one of the big differences here is Alicia Vikander, most likely an A cup, right? Yeah. By the way, I will mention it feels a little creepy to talk about breasts as much as we've talked about on this, but I, we for, have to. Yeah, we have to. It's a part off. of the character. It's a part of the character. But she she is an A cup, and, and first of all, that does not matter. No. At all. At all. But, at but this, I know some people will have contingencies. There were issues early on. And even when they did the reboot, they scaled Laura Croft down to a 34C. A, a much more, I mean, 34C is still some big old titties. Yeah. But that in, in a video game, that's modest, correct? Mm-hmm. Almost small. In real life, that, that's, that's pretty busty. So even with a more realistic Laura, she was still smaller than that. Some fans complained, but that's neither here nor there. She does a, a really great job. Well, her body's lean, so she should have a lean physique. Well, she like looks more of what like a Tomb Raider should look like yeah. if someone's going or to be a, a fighter. Yeah, she looks like she looks like an MMA fighter. That's what her body yeah. looks like, and that's how we're introduced to her before she starts going into uh, messenger uh, bike riding. You know, she's basically fighting. Yeah, you know, and and you know, she always looks capable doing that throughout the entire runtime of this movie, and. It's one of the advantages of getting an Oscar caliber actress that, like I said, there's nothing that she doesn't uh, throw everything into 100%. So after she decides to go to Japan, she finds the same guy who owned the boat in the pick. Mm-hmm. And uh, he agrees to take her after some coercing. He agrees to take her where she wants to go, which is that island where Himiko is supposed to be buried. That's correct, yeah. And like I said, that's how we get to the, the boat and everything like that. And when everything crashes, she comes to, and that's when we meet our, our bad guy in this game. In this movie, <laughs> sorry. How does this movie story compare to the original? 
Well, they are similar stories. I do want to mention that they are similar tales about, you know, a, a woman looking for her father or, and you know, trying to reconnect with him. In this story, he is alive. So that's helpful. Even though she does meet uh, John, I can't believe John Voight, her Angelina Jolie's real father was uh, her father in the movie. And we didn't mention that relationship oh, yeah. at all. Um, but, well, I mean, the, 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 the tale between her and her father in the first movie is inconsequential. Yeah, it's really isn't. In this movie, there's much more to it. There's a little bit of heart to it. There's more of a reconnection there. And I, I think that helps out a lot that this movie has a core. Well, you got like you, it's aided by flashbacks mm-hmm. of her as a child and her interacting with yeah. her dad. And, and let me let me get this straight. This, this is not Aaron Sorkin's screenplay work here. I mean, there's some good things going on here. It's not perfect, but it is a lot better than what we had before. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that's something to note. Like, this script could still use a little bit of fine-tuning, but it, it is a very watchable action movie. And it is watchable even if the action sequences weren't particularly good because there is more to this story. I'm sorry, there is less to the story to get choked on like we were in the first movie. Yeah. Lore, 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 lore. You know, like here's the Illuminati and then we got to do this and then there's a time limit on it. We got to wait 5,000 years. Like there's all these sorts of rules and everything like that. And this movie doesn't waste its time with that for the most part. Yes, there is some lore. Yes, there is some good old Indiana Jones, you know, sci-fi, medieval mumbo jumbo. But it's not on as thick in this movie and that helps a lot. Yeah, they they keep the story a bit more focused on how much of that lore that really is in it that's not that important at the end of the day. How does the action compare? The action sequences are better. The fight sequences work better. Everything's more grounded. There's no crazy Matrix kind of stuff anymore. There's no just shooting statues like you and like you like in the original movie. And I know that's straight from the games, but that's just how those old games sort of worked. You don't. Laura doesn't copy that really aspect. use a gun in this. She movie. does not. She gets her gun at the very she end. Uses Spoiler. That- Blade. And her bow. Yeah, and her bow. Yeah, because that's basically what they turned Tomb Raider into once they rebooted it. It was a much more of an archery kind of game. You know, a little, a little bit more based on stealth. And I don't know why I haven't played this. I love archery. Yeah, yeah. I, I mention this all the time. You probably would have enjoyed it. I mean, hell, I mean, to see show how much we forget about the series, Tomb Raider and its sequel are almost always on sale on the PSN, the PlayStation Network, and Xbox and Steam. And somehow over these like 10 years, these games have been available. We never bought them. Yeah. I think I, I owned the, I have the 360 version of this one, not even the definitive version of the, of the reboot. So it's just one of those weird little things. You really should get around to playing it. Maybe, you know, I, I thought we'd, we'd try to do something with it. I think I was able to fire up the original on emulator for about 10 minutes earlier. And that was about it. I, I got frustrated with the controls and didn't go back. Yeah. But, you know, we really should have given a chance to the reboots and the that game reboot to see how it worked. Because I'm also curious how much of that story they really do take. You know, because like I said, I do recognize a lot of those images from the trailer. I just don't know how they figure in. <laughs> okay. They end up at a work camp on the island. Um, they're captured by Walton Coggins. Yeah. He's apparently just been on this island for years. Yeah. Now, there is another shadowy organization, Trinity, in this one? I think that's what it's well, called. Yeah, they have a name. It was the Illuminati in the last one. But we don't get to see any of them. Well, we, we see Trinity like bodyguards and, and henchmen, but we don't see like higher-ups or anything really like that to slow the movie down. You get a, sh- a shot of Walter Coggins. I can't remember his name. Um, I don't think I wrote it down. Jarrell? No, it's not that. No. Vogel. 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 Yeah. 
he shoots a sick guy. Like he's at this work camp and there's all these people, workers working Mm -hmm. and there's this guy that's kind of sick. And, um, the guy that was, had the boat that Alicia Vikander got on Laura Croft, uh, he's there and he tries to help the guy that's sick. Well, Vogel ends up coming over and shoots him like right in the head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a pretty affecting sequence. You have to build up your bad guy a little bit. Yeah. And that was something that the other movie just didn't really want to do. You know, in, in the original film, the bad guy is just there literally to be an annoyance and an inconvenience to Laura Croft and her mission. Yeah. This one, he at least has some motivations and why he wants to do it. The motherfucker just wants to go home. Like, he's tired of being on this stupid yeah, island. He so wants to find the damn artifact. He wants to get the fuck home. Like, I, I can identify with that. I can. We've all had a shitty job that we just wanted to be over. His has been years searching for this mystical artifact. So when this woman comes there and brings him the the goddamn directions and key, you know, I mean, he's the happy as could be. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to be sure he can get home. What do you think about the film's protagonist and how it compares to the first movie? Well, first off, Laura can be hurt. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Laura pretty much had the, you know, the God code on in the original, not the nude code, but the God code. She could barely be hurt, barely broke sweat, to be honest. And this movie, she does take some major damage, which which is also a part of those reboot games that they humanize Laura. She's not a super woman. She's just a person. Yeah. And it makes her instantly more relatable. And it gives the action sequences more weight because she can be hurt. She can be injured. You know, it, it does, you know, and she does, you know, take a pretty bad injury at some point. She gets stabbed uh, through the, through the gut, I believe. Mm-hmm. Correct. And she has to stitch herself up and, and, and is really in terrible shape till she runs across her father who helps, you know, fix her up. But, you know, I enjoy that element of it, that she is much more of a human. Then, and and listen, it was okay the way Angelina Jolie played her because that's the way the part was written then. But the way this one is done, it just makes her, like I said, a much easier character to actually root for. The the next part of the movie is a part I really like. It was the part with the old Japanese World War II plane. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is another set piece from the game. Yeah. In fact, fact, it was an old rusty airplane from World War II. It was a Japanese heavy bomber known as the Mitsubishi 30. 63M, or it could be G3M. Yeah. It's a really cool action sequence, you know, with as she's trying to get away from a henchman and the plane starts falling apart and she keeps running into issue into issue until she eventually spilled out the bottom of it. It was very video game-esque to me. Yes, but in a good way, more mm-hmm. like um, the games took a lot from the Uncharted series when they came back from the reboot. And that's a very positive thing. Those games were known for big over the top action sequences. And those carried over into tomb Raider uh, for some good success, less success in the resident evil series. Yeah. Okay. Then she comes and she strangles the guy tracking her from the camp. Mm -hmm. So, and then that's when she finds her dad. Yes. Yes. She follows this guy. That's kind of been kind of watching her do her thing. And then she follows him up a rock cliff yeah. into a cave. She's ready to stealth kill him, and she finds out it's her it's father. Her father, uh, McNulty himself. Yeah, um, who's such a versatile actor. He does a really nice job. They instantly have good chemistry. You can tell they're happy to see each other. It makes this relationship work a lot more than what the original did. What do you think about Walter Coggins or Matthias Vogel? I had it written down. You had it written down. You didn't look time. at it. Yeah, no, I had it in my notes, but my 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 phone turned off. You know, man, I, I I like I like that actor a lot. Whether it's the yeah. the Righteous Gemstones, or Vice Principals, or um, Justified, you know, I, I've been a fan of his for a number of years. So seeing him in this was another reason for me to actually go and see this movie. 
It really was. And <laughs> he's good. You know, I think he can make what might be a thankless one note role a lot more. Like he's a fantastic character actor and he does that here too. Cause this role is a tiny bit underwritten, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I like, thought so too. He's able to give it all it really needs. And he's one of the more effective bad guys in a comic book, in a comic book in a video game adaptation. Yeah. I can't speak to the Assassin's Creed bad guy. Well, we talked a little bit briefly about the uh, soundtrack to the last uh, movie. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the soundtrack to this? I mean, I wish I'd pay attention to the score because right now I can't think of one or hum a tune. See, or to me, like that's that. a bad sign. Yeah, yeah, because it's well, because even in things that I don't have nostalgia for, like I could hear a theme and be like, mm-hmm, you know, like I, this happened not too long ago when I tried to rediscover the Lone Ranger. Um, the Gore Verbinski film from years ago where Johnny Depp decided to play Native American, Tonto. And as I was watching it, the movie is as bad as people say. And this was before we had a podcast. I've never I, even seen it. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine is actually in the movie, but, and he almost got cut out. <laughs> anyway, the movie stinks. But as it was going down, I was like, man, this score is damn good. Because they, they get to the finale and shocker, the William Tell Overture begins. You know, you guys all know that. I, I don't have it on clip, but I'll, I'll probably put it edit in the bottom of what I'm saying right now while I'm talking. And I'm like, dude, this, as the kids say, this slaps. And like, I looked it up and it was Hans Zimmer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I forget. Even though this movie's a failure, it's still a $250 million movie. And that's what you do when you have that kind of flick. You know, you, you go and get a high quality composer and you can just sort of spot it. Like, did, did I know Philip Glass worked on Candyman? No, but that song has haunted me since I was a child. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can just feel that from a good score. And, and maybe this movie had one and I, and I didn't notice, which seems unlikely. I didn't notice it either. That's why I wrote it. It seems unlikely. You know, we, we just got a brand new uh, Dolby Atmos set up in our house. And this was in 4K HDR Dolby Atmos. And I don't remember a thing about that score, sadly. So that, that answers my question. Yeah, it really does. I think I went the long way to say, no, nah, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Laura and dad end up at camp. Uh, Matthias ends up holding a gun to Laura's, Laura's dad's head. Uh, she agrees to go to the tomb. Yes. Even though he protests with her, it's like... Over and over, he's like, don't open it, just let me die. Yeah. But nobody ever pays attention to that in an action movie. Yeah. I will fall out of my chair in an action movie one day when like Chris Pratt's like, yeah, go ahead and shoot him, I don't care. (laughs) I would love that if that's how a Marvel movie went. Haley Steinfeld's like, yeah, go ahead and kill Hawkeye, I don't care. They explore the tomb and find the coffin uh, after all these booby traps. It was the... Scenes. I like the falling floor one. That mm-hmm. was kind of nice, even though I think geography gets kind of lost. Like, it, you know, like, oh, my God, there's all this falling stuff. Yet all of our characters can safely get to the edge of the room. Yeah. That's what I talk about. Like a neat idea, but you got to follow through. The movie's not perfect, but it is better. You know, that's a good example. Like, oh, this is kind of a neat idea. And I'm like, well, everyone's just standing around going, we're running out of time. I was like, well, you're standing on something. You seem fine. Well, the corpse in this, in the coffin has some sort of fast acting disease, which mm. made the crew sick instantly. Yeah. So that was, I guess, one of the biggest reasons why her dad was protesting. He knew something. He knew something was in there. Yeah, well, he always talks about, like, a plague that could end the world. So he had some idea. He thinks it's a curse. But when they actually get to the body and the henchmen are trying to move, we find out that there's actually a physical part of the curse. Yeah. It's not just like a, the old mummy's curse or anything like that from, from you know, the old school days with King Tut. It actually is like a zombie rage virus that infects you when you touch the person. Yeah, it's yeah. real communicable. Yeah, she was like Typhoid Mary, basically. She didn't experience any of the symptoms, but passed it on to everybody who touched her, even in death. 
And so we get a weird little zombie movie pushed in at the end of this. I don't know if that's an element from the original game. It kind of feels like it might be. Yeah. So I, I didn't hate it. Like I said, it doesn't, you know, if I hated this, I'd have to go back and retroactively kick my own ass for saying I didn't hate the aliens and the end of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. People said it's too far. And I was like, oh, we're digging in a guy's chest to pull out a still beating heart. That's perfectly logical. Yeah. That doesn't, that didn't really bother me. I think it worked okay. Her father ends up getting infected. Yeah. And that does do him in it. And what I think is a very nice and affecting emotional sequence. It's a nice thing where you He's have. He's like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's all she wants to do is hug her father one more time and he can't do it. You know, breaks both their hearts, but, you know, she has to get out of there and he has a job to do. And, it's, you know, he's setting up everything to, to blow himself away and to take out the threat. Like, you know, that whole sequence, I think is very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and she has to, to, to fight Vogel at the very end. Yeah, we get this great boss battle. Yeah. One of the moments I really like in it is he wants to get out of there and she's like, you're not taking out of here. And you know why? She kicks off the bridge. That's the only way to get out of the whole temple. Yeah. And it's like, we're going to die together, homeboy. Let's go. And, you know, they fight and she eventually kicks the shit out of him. And, of course, you know, she's Laura Croft. She does find a way out of there. But I love that whole element that she's like, no, no, no. You're not getting out of here. We dying together. Yeah. Let's go. And I, I, I like that. She finally understood what her father was trying to tell her, that there's something more important than their relationship, than everything else, the, the world, everybody. They needed somebody to step up and do the heroic thing. And Laura finally did. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. As far as facts in this movie, Alicia Vikander did all most of her own stunts. It shows. The pickaxe Laura wields in, is the same one she uses in the games. Okay. Uh, Tomb Raider 2013 and Rise of the Tomb Raider 2015. There's a shadow of the Tomb Raider now. And then Kirsten Stewart turned down the role of Laura Croft for this movie. I could have seen that work too, yeah. oddly enough. I could have too. Yeah, because she has a very strong English accent from, from what I've seen, so that, that could have worked out very well. But I love Vikander in the role, and I don't want anybody else to play it but her. I don't know if she's going to get an opportunity to do another one, because I know the rights have switched to another studio. So I don't know if they'll reboot a t- another time and we'll have to do this again in four or five years, or if we'll get a, an actual sequel to Vikander's Laura Croft. Well, time will tell. Yeah, it's the only way. Tomb Raider 2001, 4.3 user review, 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.7 IMDb. Tomb Raider 2018 got a 4.0, 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 6.3 on IMDb. So it did better. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, certainly. I remember the reviews that came out for the reboot uh, better, but a little soft. Yeah. For over an hour, this movie extends its middle finger to the audience in every way possible. The waste of money making this will be only matched by the waste of money spent watching this. This isn't a bad movie. Bad movies are made by the likes of Adam Sandler and David Spade. This is a new breed of movie. So bad, so atrocious, so needlessly loud, so offensive, and so grotesquely and vigorously insulting parody of what a movie can be that it could have only been made by a person who hates and despises both the audience and the whole experience of going to the movies. (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> that was wrong on sentence. <laughs> yeah. This is the sort of movie that makes Elizabeth Berkeley weep tears of relief. No one will ever in his, in his wildest dreams think of Showgirls as the worst movie in the world anymore. And Warren Beatty must be on his knees thanking God that town and country will attract no attention for her being a terrible, heaping, steaming heap of a movie. Not while this baby's in town. Make no mistake, to call this movie a dog is an insult to the ugliest, most vicious, rabid, smelly, incontinent, and lice-ridden canine on the planet. Ooh, that's a, that's a pretty poor review. Yeah. All right, first off, uh, Town and Country, I have seen Warren Beatty's Town and Country. Um, 
I it Tomb Raider is a better movie than Town and Country. Whoa. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you do with like a, a really lame, unfunny romantic comedy? Whoa. Yeah, a hundred million dollar unfunny romantic comedy. Oh man. Yeah, it just ends up becoming like an ego ego project for Warren Beatty. Uh, Gary Shanley's in it as well. Annette Benning, it's terrible. It's a legendary legendary flop. But and that it, it does go on a list with this movie. Showgirls is, is way better than Tomb Raider. Yeah. Showgirls, Showgirls is fun. Yeah, the, the two movies like like Town and Country and Tomb Raider are unique because they're not fun to watch. They're just there. Yeah. They're just there. And I guess that's all that really needs to be said about the original Tomb Raider film. <laughs> Oh, yes. In 2001, one Roger Ebert was still alive and kicking. So, of course, he had an opportunity to review Angelina Jolie's Tomb Raider. Uh, Sadly, Gene Siskel was not alive. So we have Richard Roper here introducing the picture. Angelina Jolie brings a cyberspace action goddess to the big screen in Lara Croft Tomb Raider. One of this week's new movies. I'm Roger Ebert. And I'm Richard Roper. With her big guns and her skin-tight outfits, Angelina Jolie is well-equipped to play Sex Pistol Lara Croft, but she's curiously sedate in this humorless and needlessly complicated adventure. Roper gets Now, like Batman, Lara Croft is a wealthy blue-blood orphan whose loyal manservant and faithful sidekick help her in her sideline as a thrill-seeking crusader. But as played by Jolie, Lara isn't nearly as interesting as Bruce Wayne's alter ego. She's just really limber. Now, those gunmen are in search of a treasure thingy that, combined with two other <laughs> treasure thingies, will unlock... Very pointless MacGuffins. Time. But the contraption works only once every 5,000 years when the planets are perfectly aligned. Right on target. Thank you, boys. In that scene, Lara was on her way to the Tomb of the Dancing Light in Cambodia. Later, she'll visit Siberia's Temple of 10,000 Shadows... Though it seemed to me she was just going on a studio tour of the sets from The Mummy Return. <laughs> That's a good burn. That's a good burn. Lara Croft Tomb Raider started as an interactive video game, and it's too bad it's not an interactive movie, as I would have appreciated having the chance to use a fast-forward button or maybe even a delete key. Instead, I had to just sit there and take it as I was pummeled with pointless action scenes, driven to distraction Good, by bad the convoluted storyline. Yeah. But here comes the twist in a sec. And performances. Didn't these people know they were making a silly action romp? They're all as serious as if they were playing a chess match with death. The only laughs here are unintentional, <laughs> as when a multi-armed statue comes to life and just sort of clomps after Lara. I've seen more convincing monsters constructed from Legos. I like this movie. You did not. Yes. Ebert loves it. My job. You are not recommending job, this movie. Please. You're not telling me. I'm talking. What? It is my job. Yeah, Ebert loves this. He loved this movie and hated Die Hard. Good trash from bad Something's trash. Something's wrong with him. There was a difference between this movie and The Mummy Returns. This is a much better movie than The Mummy Returns. It was entertaining to me on a visual level. I especially loved all of the set pieces, including that model of the globe at the end where she's climbing around on the different kinds of arms. Terrible scene. I love the look of that movie. <laughs> Terrible scene. The art design. What are you talking about, Roger? The set decoration of the movie. I know. The special effects I don't think we the saw movie. the same movie. I love the whole idea he loved the special that effects. she was kind of yeah. deadpan in the face of these extraordinary events that would have had any other actress giggling. I mean, it's a monumentally goofy film, and I liked it, and I embraced it on that level. 
Are we still talking about Lara Croft? Yes, that's the very one. I thought yes. anything, uh, I, 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 I agree with Roper on this one. Yeah. That's where even more artificial looking. And all this, okay. all this hocus pocus mumbo sets. jumbo about stopping time had no end to it. All sets are artificial by definition. <laughs> <laughs> they go on and bicker for quite a while about this, but Roper is just aghast that Hebert could dare like this movie. I am aghast. Yeah, it, it's it's one. It's, it's why I had to put the whole segment on there because I. I when we first talked about doing this one, I knew Roper, pardon me, I knew Ebert gave it a good review. I remember this one specifically. I remember walking out of the theater and then watching Ebert and Roper as I did every Saturday. And I was like, Ebert liked it? Like, I remember <laughs> it from, clearly from back then. So it was fun to get it for you. I wish you guys could have seen Meredith's reaction when like, you realize that uh, Ebert loves the movie. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. So my review, or not my review somebody's review yeah, don't give it away that you're writing all these yourself N- no god no <laughs> uh what a work uh here's a one star review for the 2018 version all right the movie was disjointed and i couldn't relate to the heroine at all knowing that this is meant to be an origin story i knew that laura wouldn't be capable of elegant version of herself however the stupidity of laura is just too distracting this movie has been marketed as like Indiana Jones, and the movie is like Indiana Jones in the sense that if Laura had not meddled, the ending would have been the same whether she found the tomb or not. Her father would like, still have died of old age or exposure rather than by suicide explosives, and the bad guys would have died without opening the tomb, which in turn would have saved the world. Even if the bad guy got into the tomb, they would have died because of the virus disease. If Laura wasn't there to tell them that something was up, the villains would have been exposed to the virus disease and died before they got out of the tomb. The actress playing Laura was adequate, but bland. She went through the motions of each hurdle as if she was assured of a second take. I couldn't believe that she had shrapnel in her side one moment, and two scenes later, she is running stealthily through the enemy compound with a bow and arrow. In real life, the strength it takes to pull back a short bow string would be quite a bit because a short bow is less flexible than a long bow. But with an injury, it would be ne- next to impossible to get a good shot. I think that Rosamund Pike um, would have the grit and intensity needed for the role, as well as the lightheartedness needed between tense scenes. A lot of people say that the plot was lacking. Personally, I thought that the concept was intriguing and had potential. However, there was a lot of scenes that could have been cut out to make the story less bulky and slow, i.e. the numerous flashbacks of the same scenes. I also thought that the other characters were poorly under- underused. They could have been utilized in a way that moved the story forward or explored another subplot rather than being used for one part of the plot and then deemed useless or impotent for the rest of the story. Overall, I think this that some lighthearted scenes would have made the plot more bearable. If the duplicate flashback scenes were replaced with some comic, comedic like lighthearted scenes, then the viewer would have been more invested in the plot and characters. Well, he had all the kind of nitpicks, didn't he? Um, yeah, that, that, oh, I chose this. Review. Yeah, no, it just, that's all it is. It's just nitpicky. I mean, if he, yes, I understand that p- people recover from injuries quicker than, than most in, in movies, but that's just, that's just how it is. S- just suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I mean, you know, she, she has to treat the wound and once the wound is treated in a movie, you're allowed to move on. That's, that's kind of how it works. And then like, he makes that strange point about like everything Laura did, you know, none of it mattered because it would have ended up the same. But I mean, there's a lot of movies you can make that case for. He made the case for that in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nothing Indiana Jones did matter in that movie. 
the Nazis still would have opened the Ark of the Covenant and killed themselves. True. Yeah. So nothing indie did matter. Does the movie shit? Hell no. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. That is inconsequential whether a character's actions amount to anything in the narrative. You're watching their actions. What matters is you, the audience, watching them. Did mm-hmm. you get in Joe story? Now, I know he didn't, but to say, like, their actions don't matter is very foolish, you know? It, it reminds me of, like, people asking, like, how you're going to write around the 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 Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan show. Like, we already know, you know, what the ending is, how it's going to be. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're all in a prequel. <laughs> we're all going to die one day. We all know that ending's coming. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's just about how you portray the journey in that instance same thing with maybe a protagonist whose actions don't really matter it's just about whatever the story is in that journey you know we enjoyed it that guy obviously didn't but you know and i think to say like you know her journey was worthless because nothing mattered is 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 a very bad critique and the same thing with a lot of his other nitpicks as well (laughs) i mean he did have some other things to point out but you know you know, not not enjoying her performance sure i can understand that thinking the story holds on a bit too long sure you know it's you know those are, are valid, but some of those other points I'm not down with. All right. So, yeah. So that's Tomb Raider, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, we did it. We uh, did a pair of video game movies for our reboots, and we'll probably do another video game movie. Why not? Week. Make it a series. Won't be Mortal Kombat. Beca- it won't be Mortal Kombat. We've already done that. It won't be Mario, because we're going to wait till the new movie comes out to do that one. So um, that leaves us with a few options. Yep. I guess we'll have to see. You have to see what it is next week, then. Yep. Bait that line. That's right. I like to do that. That's, that's <laughs> a little tease, a little hook for next week. If you don't like my teases at all, if you don't like my teases at all and you want to let me know that, you can email me at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com to let me know such a thing. Or you can also message me on uh, Gritty Reboot on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, we're at both places. Meredith, what are your social handles? I don't have any social handles. Just like last week, she continues to not have any social handles. I mean, I have Facebook. but Yeah, yeah she has Facebook, but she, she won't talk to you on there. You can find me at Lucius13, uh, Pedro Amador, at uh, Twitter. I'm rarely on there anymore. Uh, Twitter is a cesspool, and I should just probably delete it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have, I have that. Technically, I do have a Twitter. Yeah, well. you do. But yeah, I send you stuff all the time, so I know you're not logging in. No. Yeah, I, I send you just the most hardcore gay porn I can find. Thank you. You're welcome. One day it'll be a treat when you finally Somebody open it. Somebody really box. thinks that I love gay porn. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to highlight that one clip <laughs> and play it like over and over again. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Remember, you have to ask yourself the best question of the week. Where's your head at? Woo! <laughs> All right. Bye, See you from 2001, fellas.